2: Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you about these times. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When the market was roaring last week, I warned you, didn't think it would last. Eventually, there'd be more bad news about the pandemic and we would get slammed again. And that's exactly what happened today. Dow plummeting 974 points. That's would be plunging 4.41 percent. NASDAQ also nose diving 4.41 percent. Because last night, the president gave us a pretty downbeat, realistic forecast for COVID-19 fatalities. If you've been following the experts, then a potential death toll in the hundreds of thousands might not have surprised you. But for a lot of investors, it was a rude awakening. I can't blame anyone for selling after that miserable first quarter with very little good news on any front in the battle against COVID. Let's be real. This market is an incredibly leaky ship. If you've been laid off, if you're having health problems, if you're, someone in your family is hurt, you're supporting a loved one who's out of work, then you're most likely going to have to sell stocks to get through this period. People need cash. You can't fight that kind of selling. That's what we're seeing. So why not simply dump everything? Flee. Maybe get for the hills. Get out ahead of these people. Well, all right, I'm not going to if you need the money, you never know. You know, I'm not going to fight it. But let me give you a contrarian case for at least sitting tight. Okay. last week, the S&P 500 rallied nearly 20 percent after Congress passed a two point two trillion dollar rescue package for everybody. Workers, the unemployed, small business, big business. Think of it as life support for the economy while so much commerce is on hiatus. But we, we've now given up a big chunk of those gains and the sad realization that life support isn't the same as real customer stimulus. You can't stimulate the economy without demand, and there'll be no demand until we beat the virus. Don't get me wrong. We absolutely had to pass this bill. Without it, our country's economy could have just shut down tens of millions of people. All those people work for these now desperate, small, and medium-sized businesses that can be thrown out of work. It prevents this pandemic from turning into an economic apocalypse that's huge, and it was great that it got done. However, no amount of federal cash can make consumers want to get their hair cut or their nails done. You can't go out and grab a beer when all the bars are closed. It's a new world. It's a world where companies with the strongest balance sheets will survive and ultimately thrive. While the little guys are more likely to get wiped out, a lot of the show is going to be about that. I was on halftime with my buddy Scott Wapner today. He's hosting a special tonight after the show. And we were almost all negative about the market right now. It's just kind of a foregone conclusion. It's going lower. However, one of the panelists, Karen Firestone, one of my classmates at Harvard, who's whip smart and a terrific all around friend, said something it bears repeating. This will end. And when it does, you won't be able to buy stocks at a discount because the market will turn into a rocket ship. That means you can't wait for the ideal moment to buy. You have to pick up stocks gradually on the way down, even though we know, look, I want to I know today was terrible. Once we beat this virus, we could have a much bigger rally than the one we just had last week. But we're not there yet. We're not. I can't be constructive yet. I'll get more constructive when we give up last week's gains, Uh, when we're retesting March lows. I think that's a better time to buy. And I'll feel better when we get closer to actually bending the curve. The outbreak's still spreading at an exponential pace, and we're a long way from the peak in infections. We need some time to pass. I also added something when I spoke with Karen and the team. I told Karen that I remember all those really smart people in our class who went on to med school, the truly brilliant ones who weren't named Bill Gates or Steve Ballmer, the two most notable members of the class of 77. I don't want to bet against those doctors, those scientists. Yet that's exactly what you're doing. If you keep selling all the way down, or if you don't start picking something up into the weakness. This is not like the run-up to the Great Recession, when the White House and the Federal Reserve were committed to doing absolutely nothing. They only took action if the financial system collapsed. They knew nothing! This time, our government's learned its lesson. They're being a lot more proactive. They read the papers. They see this has got to be, get unstuck. They unstick it. Plus, it's not just the government. This time, many businesses are really going out of their way to help us cope with the pandemic, leading the way as a positive force for change. Few executives, few executives have been more forceful or relentless in championing this cause than our first guest, Chuck Robbins, the CEO of Cisco Systems. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, it's great to be here, Jim. All right. So, Chuck, you're really taking the leadership role now. Uh, $225 million commitment to COVID-19 response, support offers to customers. Most importantly, your leadership during COVID-19 crisis. First person to organize, get people in Silicon Valley to be involved. It sounds like that you are taking the role of the corporate citizen far more than we used to think used to happen in corporate America.
3: Well, Jim, I think that we all recognize that this is an unprecedented situation and we all have to react and respond in the ways that we can. And, uh, you know, from the, the call that we set up two and a half weeks ago to the work we've been doing with the most vulnerable in Silicon Valley, there's lots of people working with the food bank. We've been rallying volunteers. We've we're shipping equipment into hospitals so nurses can do virtual intake of patients to, to remove themselves from the risk. I mean, there's a lot going on. And I, I tell you, there are lots of companies doing a lot of great things right now. I would say that everyone has stepped up and it's just been impressive to see the business community rally around this issue.
2: Yeah, I think you've pretty much told your people, if you have something, a way to do it, a way to save a life, a way to help anybody, just go do it. It sounds like there's a lot of improvisation that's working.
3: Well, they're actually telling me what they're doing, Jim. We've, uh, we've had some folks in the U.K. that started 3D printing surgical shields and masks. We've, uh, I got an email the other day where my team's doing it in Krakow. We started doing it in uh, San Jose this week. And we're actually taking the video units off our desks. We have thousands of video units that are sitting on desks while people are working from home. And we've been packing them up, sanitizing them, and sending them into these hospitals where they're literally uh, in New York. They're going to be able to do patient intake virtually on the other side of video, so that uh, just to minimize the risk. So, but the teams are they're working and putting networking in the new hospitals that are being built. I mean, it's they got video going into nursing homes to help patients spend time with their family. I mean. It's unbelievable what uh, what they're doing. And this is happening in companies all around the world.
2: Now, Chuck, you have a a business, WebEx. It's always been a good business. Uh, It sounds like it's it could become maybe one of your biggest businesses. The number of meetings, phone calls, minutes that are occurring. It's extraordinary.
3: It has been amazing. And I want to just call out my team have just done an exceptional job this the explosion over the last few weeks has been extraordinary and uh, just to give you some statistics since we just finished march we did almost 15 billion person meeting minutes uh, during the month of march almost 330 million users Uh, we did four million plus meetings per day and and again we don't count one-on-ones as a meeting these are multi-people meetings there's so much going on uh, Asia is three times the volume they were before the COVID outbreak. Europe is four times and the Americas is two and a half times and all are growing still. So uh, the teams have done an amazing job and, and really have, uh, have scaled the scaled platform in ways that y- you never would have dreamed possible.
2: Uh, the people I know who use your product use it not just because of the quality, but they feel the security is very, very strong and they need that.
3: Well, Jim, I I mean, look, we believe that security is the most important thing with our customers. And we've said for several years, we believe privacy is a basic human right. And so you either believe that or you don't. We have designed and built security into the products from the beginning. We don't believe you should have to opt out, opt into security. We think it should be there naturally, including end-to-end encryption. Uh, You know, the, the thing about your data is that it's your data. And we won't rent it. We don't sell it. Uh, we 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 don't have third parties doing transcription. We do that in house for you. And, um, you know, it's it, this 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 technology now in particular is being used in massively distributed ways where people are talking about companies, intellectual property, organizations, intellectual property, government issues. So it has a secure we have to guarantee the privacy. And that's what we were committed to do. We built it that way from the beginning.
2: Just the new world, Chuck. Are we all going to decide that, you know what, it's not so bad to be at home?
3: Well, I think we've we've all discovered that we can be much more productive in this environment than we probably thought we could. Uh, it is. Um, I, I spoke to a CEO of a large investment bank who said if you'd have told me 90 days ago that Ninety five percent of my people would be from be working from home and we'd be productive and running the firm the way we are. I wouldn't have believed it, but we are. And so I think, you know, longer term, it's going to change how we think about work. And I think it will have a profound impact on how we think about our employees, their productivity, our our buildings, our campuses, our commercial real estate, and, uh, but we'll worry about that when we get through this crisis. All right, Chuck
2: Robbins, thank you for everything that you're doing to uh, really rise to the occasion, uh, and I'm so glad that business uh, for WebEx is working out for you. Always great to see you, sir. Keep it up.
3: Thank you, Jim. Thanks for your leadership on these important topics. <laughs> oh, thank you, Chuck. Uh,
2: much more Mad Head, including my exclusives with PVH, Nestle, and RestMed. How about what Chuck Robbins is doing to Cisco? Stay with me.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin.
0: The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.
2: Right now, we just don't have enough coronavirus tests, gowns, masks. But most importantly, we don't have enough ventilators for the people who get really sick. I think we need to do everything in our power to make more. Otherwise, this pandemic gets a lot more lethal. Which brings me to ResMed. That's a medical technology company focused on respiratory disorders. In the past, they've been synonymous with sleep apnea machines. But ResMed also makes ventilators, and management says they're looking to double or even triple production. Plus, we might be able to retrofit their other machines into mixture ventilators. It's huge. So let's take a closer look with Mick Farrell. He's the CEO of ResMed. Learn more about how his company can help fight COVID-19. He's got a terrific company. I'm well familiar with it. Mr. Farrell, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be back. I
5: wish it was under better circumstances, but happy to talk about the COVID-19 emergency and how ResMed is here to help.
2: Well, you have put a number of your people, there's a ResMed statement about COVID-19, 7,500 ResMedians are working in 140 countries. I mean, that's incredible. You've really made it a task force. It's a mission for you.
5: It is, Jim. We have a, a global COVID-19 task force. We meet every day. We have a global meet, meeting twice weekly where we have people from europe from asia and america's all getting together we've been on this for 90 days we were there in wuhan in hubei province china 90 days ago ramping up our manufacturing from shanghai province over to wuhan and um, we we followed it through china we saw the crisis go through asia we ramped up our singapore manufacturing plant we've now seen europe Uh, ramp up, and now the United States, particularly New York, California, Washington, and Michigan, and we're ramping up our Sydney, Singapore plants to maximum capacity. We're going to double, triple, or more our non-invasive ventilators, invasive ventilators, and do more than 10 times the volumes of our ventilation masks and tubing and accessories to take care of COVID-19 patients so that we keep them breathing while their own immune systems the disease.
2: All right, so what, what is, when we're speaking about doubling and triple, what is the base? How many are we talking about?
5: Well, Jim, we are the number one provider globally of CPAP manufacturing. Mm-hmm. We are number one or number two globally in non-invasive ventilation manufacturing. If you include all ventilators, we're in the top three or top five in all 140 countries. Last year, we made 14 million masks, okay. full mask systems. We made more than two and a half million flow generator systems, including CPAPs, non-invasive ventilators, and invasive ventilators. If you break it down to just the ventilators, we made tens of thousands of ventilators last year in 2019. We're going to do double that and triple that, and we're going here in real time, ramping up our Singapore plan, our Sydney plan. We're shipping to Italy, all across Western Europe, and I was on the phone with FEMA uh, last week, and uh, a great colonel in the US Army, I'd call That group at FEMA sort of like the general Schwarzkopf Mm -hmm. of this war on COVID-19. And we are getting uh, products to FEMA, but also directly to New York hospitals, hospitals in California and to healthcare systems and to
2: states and cities, Jim. Okay, what a bet. uh, I want to understand the difference between what the CPAP machines can do and the ventilation machines can do and the bilateral respiratory devices, because there's some confusion. I understand that the CPAP can be converted. And that all of these can actually be lifesavers.
5: Jim, there's a lot of relationships between the different types of ventilators. Let me break it down for you. There's the highest end uh, ventilators, which are the invasive ventilators. These are used in the critical care unit, the CCU, the ICU and step down. And then there are non-invasive ventilators. And then there are bi-level ventilators. And if you think of CPAP, CPAP is kind of like the chassis of a car. And, you know, it's kind of like a four-cylinder car, but we can put a V8 engine in it with extra motor power, extra software, extra sensors to ramp it up to become a non-invasive ventilator. And we can ramp up the production of those bi-level ventilators and those non-invasive ventilators by 10X and beyond what we've got. So we've got almost unlimited capacity to meet the needs on final manufacturing. People keep talking in the media about, a ventilation manufacturing problem. It's not a final ventilator manufacturing problem. It's a parts problem. We have over 500 parts going into these advanced sort of V8 level invasive ventilators and non-invasive ventilators. And as people come to help, we tell them, don't buy the parts that we can use to make these at scale. Help us make the parts. And when we get genuine offers from automotive companies, aerospace companies and defence companies, and we've had hundreds of offers, we say, fantastic. Fantastic. Don't make a ventilator and buy these parts. Make these 10 parts for us and let us scale, which we can, between us and our competitors
2: to meet the demands of COVID-19. Gotcha. Now, have you been in contact with uh, the legendary Elon Musk, who I know our own Phil LeBeau is saying Tesla deserves some credit for coming through? Uh, but at the same time, there are complainers who say, listen, uh, all that he really is is shipping uh, not ventilators, but CPAPs. I find it to, to quibble. Anybody who gives anything is OK with me. But I do want to try to get your definition of what he's doing.
5: Yeah, Jim, look, my take on that, and we've we've had offers from Tesla, from uh, many other automotive manufacturers, from some of the biggest aerospace companies in the world and defence companies who can help with O-rings and screens and screws. Look, Tesla can help us with lithium-ion batteries. That's an area that we might be rate limited in. I think it's great what Elon did. He went up and bought, you know, uh, uh, what I would call bi-level, non-invasive ventilators from a platform of ours from five years ago from from Asia and brought 1,000 of them over to New York. All that help, that's help with logistics. That's fantastic. If there's product out there and you can move it for us, that's fantastic. We're ramping our plant up double, triple, and 10 times on the masks. And what we need help with is a couple of components, some shipping, and some opportunities to work directly with these hospitals and states so that we can get our products to the front lines, to the frontline heroes, those respiratory therapists, those respiratory nurses, pulmonary and critical care physicians, those people are the frontline heroes. These ventilators don't run themselves. We can make them. But now we need the people to set them up there in that ICU, CCU and that whole ward devoted to COVID-19. Let's get them PPE and let's have a whole ward devoted to non-invasive ventilation in hospitals across look, New York and around the country.
2: Look, I need one last question. Uh, Governor Cuomo today said that only about 20 percent of the people who are ventilators live. That's not I, I, I think that's too low. You know these things. Is that too low?
5: Look, the data on this are moving on a day-by-day basis and we've seen different stuff out of China, Italy and the US. The survival rate is tough when you get onto a critical care ventilator because by that time you've got a lot of fluid buildup in your lungs. But if we catch you early on a non-invasive ventilator or early enough on an invasive ventilator, survival rates can improve.
2: Got it. Mick Farrell, thank you for everything you're doing. You didn't even get to talk about your main product that everybody loves, that you're taking share and taking names. And we've loved your stock, as you know, ever since you were on and then before that, that's ResMed, RMD, doing the right thing. And by the way, what a fabulous company. have Bunnies, back after the break. With the market getting mauled again, you've got to understand that this sell-off is nothing like what happened a month ago when everything got hammered indiscriminately. This time we're actually starting to see some real differentiation. It's important for your portfolio. The coronavirus winners are holding up a heck of a lot better than the losers. Take Nestle. It's the Swiss packaged foods powerhouse with a stock that barely got dinged today. And no wonder, Nestle's not only a classic recession proof business, it also has a major presence in categories that are flying off the shelves thanks to the lockdowns. Bottled water, candy, coffee, frozen foods, ice cream. We know Nestle's in, in just incredible shape. They reported a sor- very solid quarter mid February. They're also working hard to protect their employees and keep the world supplied with food. So let's take a closer look with Mark Schneider. He's the CEO of Nestle, one of the world's largest food companies. Mr. Schneider, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Thanks, Jim. Welcome back and uh, glad to be on the show. Well,
2: sir, uh, you have a remarkable company, not just because of of the breadth of product that you have, but you're also an incredibly charitable company. But what I want to talk about in this terrible age of COVID is, as the world's largest food company how are you able to get food to the supermarkets and fill all those shelves that are constantly have to be restocked because I can't find your stuff in the supermarket a lot because it's so it just snapped up constantly
1: look this was a tremendous global surge in demand as people were stocking their pantries uh, in order to get prepared and spend more time at home and so We're scrambling. We're working as hard as we can. We know this is our main purpose at this hour, to be sure that shelves and pantries are stocked and people have essential food and beverage products. Uh, But, of course, this was an an upsurge that no one got prepared for, and we're scrambling to meet demand and working hard at it. Uh, One of the things that I think that that you
2: guys do better than almost anybody that I think people don't talk enough about, uh, pets, pet care. Uh, It's really shining here, and I want you to mention it because we've talked about beverages, nutrition, water is really uh, amazing. But your mix of what you're selling, iconic and local brands for pets doing incredibly well.
1: You're right, and pets need to be fed in this crisis, too. So we saw some stocking up there as well. But even before the crisis, this is one of our best performing categories, up 7% for last year. Uh, We just actually announced today another acquisition in the pet food space. Uh, Lily's Kitchen, based in uh, UK, high-end natural pet food for dogs and cats. So um, this is a tremendous category with huge potential down the road. You
2: are doing something that I think a lot of food companies have not been able to do successfully. Your premiumization is working, whether it be vegan, sustainability, organic, naturalization. Every single one of these initiatives seems to be able to make it so that your profitability is very strong.
1: You're absolutely right, Jim. These are the uh, trends that we are seeing. We're catering to those. We've been working patiently at improving our products and uh, meet those demands. And um, I think those things will stay on trend going forward uh, through this crisis. So it's a worthwhile endeavor to keep working on those. Uh, when you were on last, we talked
2: about the, uh, the idea of, of a bottle, of a plastic bottle, perhaps not going uh, to end up in the Pacific, in the giant island. How's that going?
1: Yeah, so uh, sustainable packaging is a key area. Uh, Sustainable packaging is an area where people report directly to me because we need to make progress across the full spectrum of our products. So biodegradable um, is one solution. Reusable is another one. And, of course, we want to make our products recyclable by the year 2025. We're making good progress towards that. Big issue for this year is going to be the elimination of uh, plastic straws and to replace those with paper straws. So all of these initiatives are working well and uh, making good progress.
2: My kids and I joke at the end of the day, I have a daughter who lives in Madrid, sadly, very, very tough. A daughter lives in Greenwich Village and we do FaceTime and we all laugh because the only thing that makes us really happy is reading a ton of candy. It makes us happy. And I bet you we cannot be alone.
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, this is a time where snacking and comfort food is just as important as essential nutrients, and, uh, you know, it's a stressful period for all of us, and uh, so making sure that those products continue to be available is a big part of our job. The heroes of the hour are clearly our frontline workers that are doing tremendous jobs in our factories and distribution centers and quality assurance labs to be sure that that happens.
2: Now, when you... There are not enough talk. I was watching on our five o'clock show the idea, the people who bring food from your factories to the store, the most unprotected people in the world, other than the people in the healthcare business, how are they faring?
1: Look, I mean, this is exactly what I mean when I say that the frontline workers are the people I admire the most. It's our job to really give them every help and support necessary. That means, for example, enhanced hygiene protocols, uh, safety and protection gear when necessary. And it also means, you know, from a top management perspective, we really try to spend time with them. So uh, my colleagues and I, we do spend time regularly at distribution centers and factories to be sure that uh, frontline workers understand we're with them uh, in this.
2: Now, Mark, the idea, there are a lot of people who have always been well-employed. I never thought they'd ever be on the unemployment line. Never thought that they would ever be short of food. You're doing something about that, too, right?
1: Yes. So we're donating uh, where we can across the 187 countries uh, in the world where we're present. You know, this is a global problem, and hence we need to help where we can. We want to be a good neighbor in the communities where we're present. So we're donating to uh, food banks, um, Meals on Wheels. In America, we're giving donations uh, to be sure that food reaches uh, people who cannot leave their homes. Uh, we're supplying hospitals with medical nutrition. We're sharing uh, some of the medical protocols now for people that need to be on a respirator. There so are lots of things that are happening across the full spectrum, what we can do uh, to help mitigate this crisis. And how is
2: the food service business? Because I know that we've had a number of companies, like Conagra we had yesterday, they're doing well in the supermarket, but you know, the other side, it, it, there's a lot of offices and businesses that are closed right now.
1: Absolutely. And uh, food service, uh, all in all, is about 10 percent of our revenues. And uh, that, one, of course, is hard hit. We're working closely with our food service partners because many of these businesses, of course, are facing tremendous stress. And we want to be sure they make it uh, through this period. Uh, but, uh, yes, it's a negative on the food service side. It's a positive on the uh, in-home consumption.
2: But I would have to believe that the positive on in-home over- does Uh, let's say, exceed what could be the downside from the food service?
1: It does, but do keep in mind, you have to look at this through the full cycle. So right now, of course, people are stocking up, but um, we all hope that this period that we spend in our homes is a temporary one. And um, then over time, I think the overall trend towards more out-of-home consumption will come back. And of course, pantries at some point will get destocked as well. So it's important not to look at it just on a one week right. or one quarter basis, but look at it more like on a one or two year basis. Oh, ooh, I hope not, but I understand.
2: Last question is from my wife. She said, You, you should ask Mr. Schneider what, whether uh, he's ready for the onslaught of babies nine months from now.
1: You know, infant nutrition is one of our biggest businesses. Um, and uh, obviously, this is a core category for us. We're ready for every surge that might happen. Every baby that gets born, you know, we are cheering it on.
2: Only silver lining in this whole thing. Mark Schneider, you are terrific. CEO of Nestle's. What an incredible company. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. That is a great company. I wish one day we can get to the shares, buy some, because Nestle's is the, one of the best managed worldwide food companies. And they also have a pretty good reputation for charity. They have money back in. At this point, we're mostly numb to the market's jaw dropping declines. Oh, but well, We were down to 974 points today. Typical Wednesday takes a lot to surprise us these days, doesn't it? Consider the hideous decline in PVH. The apparel company we like so much is known, well, you know it as Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger. Here's a stock that was trading at 105 at the end of last year. It's now $32 after plummeting another 13% today. Investors were terrified of what the company might say when it reported. It turns out PVH, it did well this quarter. The company posted a solid top and bottom line beat despite some slight misses on the margin front. But, and this is the mother of all buts, management also declined to give guidance for the next quarter for the full year, suspended its dividend and buyback, and also gave some, uh, some verbiage in the release, which makes me nervous. PVH simply doesn't know when the stores that carriage merchandise will be able to reopen. It's not like you need a new wardrobe when you can't even leave the house. I think it's important to know how they're handling the pandemic. So let's check in with Manny Chirico. He's the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of PVH Corp. Trying to fill in the blanks here. Mr. Chirico, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: How are you, but Jim? I wish we were together. At least we could give each other an elbow bump. Uh, I wish we were together, too, Manny.
2: And I love the fact that you came on. I think there were people who said, you know what? Uh, because he's in apparel, I bet he doesn't want to talk. It's the opposite. You come right out. I'm thinking of your company, Manny, as maybe the survivor during this period because of your balance sheet, the revolver you drew down. And I think you've got a lot of staying power.
0: Thanks, Jim. I think that's a pretty accurate picture of us. You know, we... Uh, we have very low leverage overall. Uh, we have a very strong balance sheet, about $1.2 billion in cash and, and, avail- and available borrowings. Uh, we, we're also, we also announced a, a few months ago that we would be selling our Speedo business, and that'll generate in the month of April another $170 million. So given our overall conservative capital structure, I think we have a tremendous amount of uh, capability to weather the storm But no retailer and no apparel retailer is built uh, to be shut down. And that's what we basically are right now. We have our online business, but that's doing really well. But uh, our stores in North America, Europe, Asia and Brazil uh, are closed down because the government's made the right decision uh, to to have social distancing.
2: There are some of the larger department stores. Uh, I shudder. Macy's was eliminated from the S&P 500 yesterday. Uh, it's great. It's an institution. Uh, th- they are not built to be shuttered either. Uh, how long do you think some of these department stores can stay closed?
0: Yeah, look, Jim, I think everyone is facing that challenge. I think uh, Macy's, uh, Jeff Gannett and his team is doing what's necessary to weather the storm. They've got substantial assets there that are they could be cash generating. I mean, I'm not going to speak for them, but clearly they're going to be a survivor uh, when this is all over. And we have a great deal of confidence in that management team and that company uh, that they'll, they'll weather the storm.
2: Manny, when I heard something you guys did, I told my wife, said, so let's go out and buy a lot of Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, you, <laughs> devo- you, you. Came up, you came up long when everyone else is coming up short. Personal protective equipment at Montefiore. I read this, t- this incredibly sad article in the journal. Bronx Hospital is probably the number one most hurt hospital. And you were right there
0: to help them. Well, look, I'm on the board of Montefiore. The that is an unbelievable institution, led by uh, Dr. Phil Azal. He's done an amazing job, and they service a community in the Bronx and also in Lower Westchester and some more affluent areas like White Plains Hospital. They do it all of those that entire hospital network does an amazing job. Their nurses and doctors are you know heroes in my mind for what they're doing at, during this crisis. And uh, if we can help in a small way, using our you know sourcing network in the Far East to help bring in first about a 1.5 million surgical masks, N95 masks, and uh, sur- uh, three ply masks, and also in the pipeline, another 5 million masks to help them through this storm. You know, it's, it's our pleasure to do it and it's, uh, you know, I've, it's our small way of contributing to the effort. And that's why I was uh, down at the hospital making sure that the quality control of the masks that we were bringing in were going to meet the high standards that we have at Montefiore and in our overall healthcare system. So they're my heroes. And now, uh, anything we could do to help them is great.
2: You're my hero because when you were at Montefiore, uh, you discovered that you are not well, correct?
0: I'm, I'm fine, Jim. I, I discovered that I, that, that I have the, uh, the virus uh, because of the testing and because I was, I was going to be present there. And anybody who's going to be in inside the hospital for an extended period of time uh, needs to be tested. So I was tested and I was kind of shocked when I found out that I was positive. Um, I'm asymptomatic. My wife, who hasn't been tested, but they said 95 percent sure, has, also has the virus. Uh, is uh, has some mild symptoms at this point. And my parents, uh, you know, 90 years old, both of them live with us, uh, in a separate apartment, and we've had to isolate from them. But thank God, knock on wood, uh, we're in a good situation here, and uh, you know, we're one of the fortunate, we're a fortunate family. Uh, so those, those healthcare workers, those hospital workers at Montefiore and the other hospitals in New York. They're the real heroes, the policemen, the firemen, the emergency workers going out every day and putting themselves at risk, you know, Whatever we can do to support them. Well,
2: that has that uh, always been your, the way you handle life, and I think it's fantastic. When we get through on the other side, Manny, what's it going to look like? You've got stores that are in uh, malls where you have, offer great value, the heritage business. You've got the dominant brand, uh, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, the dominant brand, Calvin Klein. What will things look like when we're finished with COVID-19?
0: Look, Jim. I think is um, this is going to be a painful process. Like the president has talked about it. Governor Cuomo here in New York was, uh, was really taking a leadership role. He's talked about it. We're going to go through some pain here for the next month or two. Um, but I think the, you know, I think the industry will come through it. There will be you know casualties. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin talked about that. There, there's no way to avoid. There will be some levels of bankruptcies. Right. Retail is an industry that's being hit. Apparel retail as a discretionary item is going to be impacted. And I think when you look on the other side, I think, you know, I've always felt that, you know, prior to this, that over the next five, six years, our industry would go through some significant consolidation. And I think this is only going to accelerate that consolidation uh, as we go forward. So. And it probably will accelerate some of the store closings that need to take right. place. And I think it'll make us a more efficient uh, industry. Uh, but there will be pain uh, going through it. There's no doubt about it. My job, uh, I think, is to try to get PVH to the other side. And when I you know, I talk about heroes, right. I-, I talk about the people at PVH that have just done an amazing job are people who have been – taking care of their families, their children, and are home. And at the same time that they're homeschooling and taking care of their kids, they're on the phone with our retail accounts trying to manage the order book for spring and fall. Uh, we've got merchandise and inventory coordinators that are trying to deal mm-hmm. with the sourcing network in, in, um, in Asia and looking at how we can manage our supply chain. And at the same time, they're dealing with family commitments and they're dealing with elderly parents, But at the same time, getting it done for PVH. You know, when you talk about leadership, that's leadership. All right. Uh, And I've been so impressed with how our people in North America, Europe, Asia and Australia have really stepped up and been able to do their jobs from home, been able to take on the burdens Mm -hmm. that we're all feeling and the stress and pressure we're all feeling in our business life and in our personal life. Okay. And I think, you know, that's been a model as we go. forward. Well,
2: Manny, thank you so much. I'm glad that you're feeling well. I'm glad that your team is doing such a remarkable job. And thank you to for everybody, because Montefiore is, is an unbelievable hospital. Great to see you, sir. It's Manny Trico, chairman, chairman CEO, of PBH. Oh, good good good. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski top Have the lightning round. Let's start with Josh in California. Josh, Hey Jim, how are you doing? I am doing well, Josh. How are you? Good.
5: My grandpa and I are longtime watchers. I was wondering if it's a good idea to sell Duncan because coffee and donuts aren't as
2: high demand right now. I think it's okay to sell it, frankly. Uh, my Chapel Trust owns Starbucks, taking it for a long-term view and got big China exposure, which actually is actually going to be positive. But I would take, take a pass on Dunkin'. Let's go to Joseph in Connecticut. Joseph.
1: Hey,
2: James. Yeah. How you doing? I am yes, good. James. How about you? Okay, thank you. Uh, uh,
1: where do I start no, here? I don't know. Um,
2: <laughs> thank, thank you for all the help you do. For uh, thank you very much. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. A a shout out to your daughter out in Spain. I hope she gets home safe when she wants to come home. (laughs) Well put. Well put, sir. And I say that because I'm a brand new grandfather and I can't see my grandson. He's in California. Yeah, this is is some time. This is some time. I hope everybody. I hope this thing ends soon. How can I help? I
1: am calling about uh, Virgin Galactic.
2: Well, that's a very speculative stock. You know, it ran all the way up. It had an incredible run, frankly. Uh, It went up to 42, but it was a short squeeze. There were so many people betting against it. At these levels, it's come all the way back down. I say it's a decent spec. It's not my favorite because I think I would prefer if you want spec, I would actually go with Tesla. Let's go to uh, Majid in in Michigan. Majid. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Doing well, thank you. Uh, so I'm currently investing in
5: the market, positioning myself long term, um, considering that oil is hovering around twenty dollars. Why did to get your thoughts on Marathon Oil. I think you
2: have to look, when you look at Marathon, you have to look at the debt side. I think that they have, uh, when you see these big yields and you see these stocks really low, it tends to mean that the the credit side is not strong. If you want to own an oil, and I do not encourage it, the only one that I think has the balance sheet to get through this period unscathed is Chevron, and it yields 7.5%, and they're deeply committed to that dividend. Let's go to Pat in North Carolina. Pat. Hey, Jim, thanks for all your good advice and, and words of wisdom. Oh, thank uh, you, Pat. Back in 04, I bought some IDEX stock when they were working on a vaccine for Mad Cow. And I'm wondering now if they are doing anything with the CV-19. Are they working on that also? You know, I don't know. I've got to call them. I, my contact with the company has retired, uh, sadly, because he's the greatest. John and, but I will tell you this. I like Chewy, which I think is a way to get food, you know, pet food into your house. I also like Nestle's, by the way, because they own Purina and they do a great job. Uh, Fresh Pet has got some unbelievable numbers, too. There's a lot of great humanization of pet stories that are out there. Let's go to Drew in Connecticut, please. Drew. Brother Jimmy Chill. Yo, man, the Chill Man's in the house. What's going on? Hey, uh, sincere thanks for. Uh fighting a good fight in these uh, times. Thank you. The stock is Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble's had some unbelievable numbers. In the last two months, the numbers there are probably stronger for their business than I can ever recall. Procter & Gamble with a 2.7% yield, a great balance sheet, is a buy. Buy, Procter & Gamble. Let's go to Steve in Maryland. Steve. Hey, a big sanitized booyah to you. Oh, Stay safe. Hey, yeah, let me give you're some still talk. pretty hot on... Um, I got a nice position in uh, uh, First Horizon. You had this guy on uh, about a month or so ago. Yeah, you know, you- Brian Jordan is terrific. This thing yields 8%. I mean, unless someone... I talked to Secretary Mnuchin. He's not talking about getting rid of the bank dividends like they're doing over in Europe. Uh, he, Brian runs a fantastic bank in the strongest part of the country. I understand there's got to be loan forgiveness, but I think at eight bucks... Wow, I mean, 7 bucks. Enough! Enough with the selling. Let's go to Tom in New York, please. Tom. Hi, Jimmy. Uh, This is uh, Tom from New Jersey. All right, buddy. A couple weeks ago... Good. I spoke with you a couple weeks ago about going into cash, and today my question is in regards to Apache Energy. Yeah, that's the worst performing stock in the S&P. I have to tell you, I know Mr. Crisp is a good man, uh, but they they did this thing in the... Alpine High, they wrote it off. They've got too much uh, gas, not enough for It's just not a good situation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade.
2: You can learn a lot about a market by looking at its winners and its losers. Take the five best and worst performers from that miserable quarter that just ended in the S&P. The biggest winner is Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. That's run by the great Len Schleifer. I think Regeneron has the best hope for fighting the pandemic, which is why it rallied 30% in the last three months. They're working on both the treatment that alleviates COVID's most lethal symptoms and one a vaccine. Len was our first guest ever on Mad Money 15 years ago. He's not a dreamer or a schemer. He's a realist. In fact, only a month ago, he was pretty downbeat about what general would be able to do against the scourge. But lately, he's become a lot more optimistic because he thinks they might really have something. By the way, Len put out a brilliant infrastructure plan for our country in a New York Times op-ed piece last year. He wanted us to fund a massive infrastructure bank backed by a special tax on public companies. Tax that we paid in stock. I thought it was a really cool idea, but now if the economy's in such dire straits. I think it makes more sense for the government just to borrow a gigantic amount, 30-year War bonds, coronavirus war bonds. The second biggest winner is Citrix. Okay, Uh, we just covered this company. It says it helps remote workers stay connected with their colleagues. It's the original collaboration software. Citrix is a seasoned company. Part of my barbell list from last night. I'm already vaulted 38 uh, percent last quarter. You know what? I think it's actually got more room to run. Third is Netflix. I know. We've seen lots of surveys reporting to show that Netflix may not be doing that well right now. I could care less. What matters is that they can raise prices dramatically if they really want to. we got nothing to do, right? Everyone accepted. We're starved for entertainment. There's not even many sports. Stock was up 16 percent last quarter. Seems too low for me. Fourth is digital realty. It's a real estate investment trust that owns data center properties. With everyone using the cloud to work from home, the data center is on fire. That's how digital ra- reality, this is a REIT, by the way, rallied 16%. I like it here, 3.3% yield, but I'd like it a little more on a pullback. Finally, there's Gilead, up 15%. Now, here's another drug company that's working on ways to fight the virus. Gilead's case, that are testing an antiviral. I sure hope it works, but it makes sense. I'd rather just buy Regeneron. Alright, how about the worst performers? You're going to see some common themes here. No real mystery. Energy, right? Been annihilated by the collapse in oil prices, $20 a barrel. Remember, I didn't like the oils even when crude was in the 40s. Remember, I told you I thought that the environmental uh, world was turning against them. I hope you got out when I said get out, get out, and then get out again. Down here, they're still very tough to own. Apache used to be a terrific international energy company. Then they sold off their far-flung properties, made a huge bet on the wrong part of the Permian Basin, wrote it off. Stock started the year at 21, now at 4.00. Down 84 percent. Stocks, at least they stop at zero. Second and third worst repair of cruise lines, Norwegian Cruise and Royal Caribbean. Down 81 and 76 percent respectively. We've had all these companies. They're incredibly well run. They offer very popular service. They're inexpensive service. But now cruises are totally off limits until people get over the industry's unique exposure to COVID-19. As we've seen over and over again, you don't want to be stuck on a cruise ship during a pandemic. Royal Caribbean in particular strikes me as a good house in one of the worst neighborhoods on Earth. Maybe it can bounce, but I really want you to avoid these stocks that are right in the coronavirus blast zone. The last two, Marathon Oil, Noble Energy. They're the fourth and fifth worst performers of the S&P, and these are terrific energy companies, frankly. Solid, excellent properties. But none of that matters with crude at $20 a barrel and Permian going for $10. After the bankruptcy today of whiting petroleum, even the best oil producers are nothing more than a dice roll, and we're going to see many more bankruptcies. I wish I could say buy an oil. I just can't. Maybe there's a bounce after the president meets with some of the oil execs later this week. If we get a bounce at all, sell it. In the end, I think the winners from the first quarter keep winning. As long as the pandemic rages, the losers, I bet they keep losing. Andrew in and Maryland, please. Andrew. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah, Andrew. Uh, question is, how heavily impacted will Six Flags
5: be by coronavirus since they've extended closures until mid-May and potentially into the summer months? And how could it affect their bottom line? And will they be able to
2: rebound? Um. I think that uh, it's going to be very rough for them. Um, It's a suboptimal situation. I don't think it's worth the risk to get that 8.7% yield. And uh, I think you're, you're going to have to take a pass on that one. I think it's just too hard to own. All right. Well, we got the list. Winners and losers. Winners are going to stay winners. Losers can still lose. Stick with Kramer. This volatility is unheard of, people use it to reevaluate your portfolio
0: you're the best thank you very much for your show and
2: advice throughout the years we have your back and we will get through it together thanks for always being willing to stick your neck out and give us your honest and informed opinion
3: i want you to know we appreciate you trying to help
2: us out i'm there for you all right these times i am playing for you you get every bit of my knowledge i'm just trying to do my best for you we always get through these together will this time be any different Without some breakthrough in science, we're going to go back and test last week's lows. Remember, we have 19.9% at one point last week. And maybe we go through them without some good corporate news. It's not a great time. Like I said, there's always a bull market summary. I'm I find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Our special markets and turmoil starts right now.